All right, Genesis chapter 26. And the title is Keep Digging. And that will become quite apparent why I chose that title as we move through this chapter because Isaac is going to have to dig well after well after well. In this chapter, we're going to get a lesson on faith and how he was a man of faith. We're going to get a lesson in persistence because he had to keep coming back and digging in these locations. And we're also going to see the many similarities that exist between Abraham's life and his life. I'm not going to take a lot of time to actually draw those conclusions, but just know that they're there. And I encourage you to just you make a little you know, column, you know, Abraham, column Isaac, and watch how many things are similar for um, Isaac as it was for his father. We begin reading in verses 1 and 2 about the famine in the promised land. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. Although it's the promised land, it's the land that God had taken Abraham uh, to from the land of of the Chaldeans and said, Here is the land that I'm going to give you. These are going to be your borders. Um, still we read for the second time that a famine exists in the land. And you would think, some maybe would conclude, well, you know, we can fully expect that because um, the Lord has promised them these borders that it's only going to be easy, it's only going to be a blessing, and it's just going to be easy street. But you know better. You know that even in our own walk with Jesus Christ, which is richer and fuller, in every way than what Isaac was experiencing, we still have our own trials and we have our own tribulations that we face each and every day of our life. Some of you may be in the storm of your life right now. Maybe there's a health issue. Maybe there's a financial crisis. Maybe there's a relationship that is, that is just breaking your heart. And the wrong conclusion to have at this moment is to say, but Lord... I thought because I'm a Christian that I was going to have it all easy because the Bible never says that anywhere. We can expect that blessing and that ease to come to us in the next life when we are there in the presence of the Lord in heaven. But right now, this is what the Bible says. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. That's what happens. We should not be shocked because of the strange and fiery trials that come to try us. This is exactly what we should expect to take place. It doesn't mean that we have more because we are a people of faith, but to think that we don't have them because we're a people of faith, it does not look honestly at Scripture. It does not look honestly at the life around us. Hard things happen to good people. Just because you're going through a trial this morning, it does not mean that God is against you. It does not mean that the Lord has forsaken you. It doesn't mean that he has been less than faithful to his promises. He is faithful, and he will continue to be faithful. So the famine is in the land. Bad news for a farmer and a herdsman. We've not read it yet, but we see that Isaac picks up farming as well as being a herdsman like his dad, uh, Abraham. And so he's a herdsman and he's a farmer, two things that will be hit hard during a time of famine. So he moves and he goes to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Now Abimelech is a a title. 
It's a name like Pharaoh. So this is why you can read about Abimelech here, but then we also read about David before King Abimelech. We're like, how long does this guy get to live, by the way? Well, not very long. It's just that this is like the title, Pharaoh. And, um, you know, whether or not this is the same Abimelech as uh, the one that Abraham went in front of, we don't know. It could have been a different Abimelech. Maybe it's the same one. But Isaac goes to this place. And what the Lord tells him in verse 2 is, stay in the land. Don't go down to Egypt. Your mom and dad went down to Egypt, and that did not work out so well for them. That's where they got uh, Hagar. That's where she ended up going in. Uh, Abraham went in and got her pregnant, and that was supposed to be the child of promise that the Lord said, that, I'll bless that child, but I am not, that is not my plan. That's not what I had in mind. Sarah's going to be the one to bear that child. And it caused a lot of heartache, a lot of family heartache um, because of that lapse of faith. And so the Lord tells Isaac, don't go down to Egypt. Stay within the land. I will take care of you and I will provide for you here. Verses 3 through 5, God affirms the covenant with Isaac. Dwell in the land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed, singular, right? All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandment, my statutes, and my law. So a significant moment. The Abrahamic covenant that was given to Abraham that he would be the one through whom the promised seed would come, going all the way back to Eve, where the promise was given to her, this now passes to Isaac. He is that one that has that covenant, and he can expect the Lord to bless his descendants and to eventually bring one that would reverse the trouble that was brought into the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. Pretty amazing stuff. But he also tells him that he's going to take care of him while he's in the land. He commands him, dwell in the land. You're in the land of promise and you've got a famine, but I want you to dwell here. I don't want you to go somewhere else. I don't want you to run down to Egypt. I want you to stay right where I've planted you. And that may speak to some of you in your circumstances, that you stay right where God's planted you. Quit trying to run away. Quit trying to run from the difficulty. Just stand back and watch the Lord work and move in your own heart and in your own life. God is saying to Isaac, I'm going to sustain you. If he's saying dwell in the land, then he's going to live in the land and he's going to be taken care of in the land. And yet, on the surface, there's every reason to be concerned that things are going to work out. But we're going to find out they're going to more than work out. That God is going to show up in and in and unanticipated ways to bless him and to bless his family. Uh, we get that little note there in verse 5 about Abraham and how he was a man of obedience and, and was blessed. And uh, we can trust the Lord that he's going to bless us as we follow him. In verse 6 and uh, down to verse 11, we see faith and folly that live they right next door to each other. You can have a great moment of experience and walk with the Lord, and then you can, in the next moment, make a serious error and mistake. In verse 6, we see the faith. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. It doesn't sound like much. You read it, 
Not a whole lot of fanfare around that short little sentence, but this was an act of obedience. This was a great act of faith. He's a herdsman, he's a farmer, and there's a famine, and God says, don't worry, dwell in this land. And Isaac, in a sense, says, in this land I will dwell. I'm going to trust you, God, to see me through. But into verse 7, down to the end, we see he moves right into folly. And the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, she is my sister. Now, if you've never read this before, you're like, didn't his dad do that before? Yeah, twice. And some would say, well, this story is probably not original to Isaac. The person who was writing just took it over and wanted to make another point and made this story up. That's not true. And, you know, this, this idea is like, well, he would know, there's no way he could possibly make the same mistake that his father made. Really? Like, what planet do you live on? I mean, that happens every day all around us. That he would make the same mistake? They clearly, I mean, listen, am I the only one that's made the same mistake twice, three times, four times? We all live in that place where we make a mistake. And so he does it. I mean, he says, no, this is my sister. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of this place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac, Isaacing to Rebekah, his wife. Now I know that's not what the translation says. The, word, the words for the New King James is showing endearment. But it's, do you remember when we were studying about um, Ishmael? And how Ishmael was persecuting Isaac? And that made Sarah really angry and said, you got to send this, this Ishmael away. And how we talked about how the word that was used for persecuting comes from the same root word for Isaac. Well, the words here in the New King James, showing endearment... Are this, it's the same root word for the name Isaac. And so some of your translations may have sporting down there. It's the idea. But it's not, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it, I think this is translated accurately to understand what was taking place, showing endearment. We just don't get the play on words that's going on. And so Isaac was Isaacing his wife. And Abimelech looked at that and was like, ah, we need to have a conversation. And so he calls him in and he says, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. You know, it's interesting. As he asks him this, these questions, it's almost like you can hear the Lord asking the questions through this pagan king. This is your wife. Why in the world would you say she's not? Because I don't believe that I can be kept safe. I'm afraid I'm going to die. And Abimelech said, what is this you've done? One of my people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, he who touches this man or his wife will surely be put to death. Again, draw back, 30,000-foot view, what's happening? Isaac is putting in jeopardy the woman that will have children come from her that will be in the lineage that will lead to Jesus Christ. It's a threat against the Messiah again. So as you're reading this, of course, we know the end of the story. Jesus comes. But if you're reading this for the first time, you're like, oh, my goodness, not again. What's, what's going to happen? Is she going to be taken? 
And is a promise going to be lost? And is man going to be left in a state where he has no hope of salvation? That's the tension that we should be seeing as we read this. But Abimelech comes in and rebukes them. Faith and folly. They live right next door to each other. And here's the amazing thing. Previously, God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. Your children are going to be more than the sand of the sea. You're going to have a child that's going to bless every nation. And he's like, I believe that. And then he's got to go live out the rest of his day hoping he's not put to death. He's like, I am afraid. And we can have great faith in moments for the big stuff. Like, we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I know that's what most of you have done here today. You have put everything in Jesus Christ. You are trusting him to take you from this life into the next life and give you eternal life. And well, you should, and I have as well. I'm banking on Jesus Christ 100%. And you know what we, the Bible says? We are not going to be put to shame. We are, it's it's going to pay the dividends of eternal life. But we can do that. Think about that. Your eternal soul you're believing that having faith in Jesus Christ will lead you into everlasting life, and yet we have problems to trust the Lord in a relationship or with finances or whatever it might be that's going on in our life. We are not so different than Isaac. We've got the big thing taken care of, taken care of but somehow we think now God's going to forget about us. He's going to abandon us, and he's not going to see us through this much lesser thing to accomplish. We believe he can make a great nation. We believe that a Messiah is going to come, but somehow we can't believe he's going to keep me safe from this little Abimelech. And that is where we get tripped up so often. And we have to pay attention to not only the big issues, but the smaller issues of our life as well. Let's keep reading verses 12 through 22. We see what conflict comes while he's in Gerar and his wells be, get stolen and they get stopped up. Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. You get the idea. He's loaded. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. Then he called them, the names by which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, This water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they quarreled with him. And they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Do you see why he called the title of this message, Keep Digging? Because he has to dig well after well after well. And we're not done yet. He's got some more digging to do. 
They keep getting stolen. They keep getting stopped up. And this is, I mean, this is no small deal. Because what's the context for these wells being stopped up? Famine. Famine is going on in the land. There's a lack of water. This is almost like issuing a death sentence. In many cases, this would have resulted in war. But we're going to see that Isaac really is a man of peace. And he doesn't want to respond with war. And so he moves on and he tries to find other places. And we'll see how this works out for him before the, uh, the chapter is over. So he is prospering. He's being blessed in such a beautiful way, which tells us this. God does not need to have all the expected and normal resources to bring blessing into your life. God can do with just a little bit of dew what, he, what the other person needs a full season of rain for. God can make a little bit of grain produce much more grain. Well, I mean, we think about the loaves and the fishes, right? Isn't this like a constant message that comes through Scripture for us? Is that God doesn't need to have many to have a victory? That's what Gideon, you know, came to learn. Jonathan in his armor bearer said, God can deliver with a few or with a whole army. This is a constant teaching of Scripture, is that God can take the little that he gives to us and he can bless it and he can make something amazing out of it. And so you're looking at your circumstances and saying, God, God wants me to dwell in the land? You know, God wants me to live inside of these borders? Do you know how hard it's going to be to live inside of these borders? I mean, this is difficult. We, we live in a different day, and it's hard, and there's hostility that we're facing. It's going to be hard. The Lord can make you prosper inside the borders of his word as you follow and you obey. But you've got to make the decision, like Isaac, I'm going to dwell in this land. I'm going to be here. I'm not going to go following something else. I'm going to follow you, Lord. And so I'm going to rest and I'm going to wait. And then you wait for the Lord to bring blessing upon your life. And indeed, he is blessed. But these wells, I want to apply them to our own spiritual walk with the Lord. And we need water of the Word of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the fellowship of the saints. We need the prayer of the church to be nourished and to be refreshed. He had to take care of his flocks. He had to take care of the, the fields. We need to maintain our walk with the Lord. We need to be involved and engaged in the work of the Lord. Jesus in John 4, verses 13 and 14, speaking to the woman who had many relationships. That's the well she was drawing at. She was hoping to quench the thirst of her soul with the many relationships she had been engaged in. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Have you drank of that water? Do you know of the fullness that exists by being in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know what it's like to be satisfied deep inside of your inner man or inner woman? It doesn't mean that famine doesn't go on, but you know there is, there's something that's right, that's been settled between you and God, that is beautiful and that is meaningful and that it brings purpose and significance to your life. This woman was looking for it in one relationship after another relationship after another relationship, and it was never happening. And maybe for you it's, it's finances, or maybe for you it's building a name for yourself. 
I don't know what it is that you're, where you're drawing, but if you're not drawing water that Jesus offers, you're not going to be content. And you can go through your whole, this whole life drawing from one well after another, but if you don't drill, uh, draw from the well of Jesus Christ and drink, you know what you're going to miss out on? Everlasting life. Jesus is the only way. He is the only one that can take away the guilt and the shame and the consequences of your sin because he paid for them on the cross. He was nailed to the cross and your judgment and my judgment was poured out on him by God the Father so that it wouldn't have to happen to you. If you don't come to him and drink of that well, you will not have everlasting life. And if you think, well, that just seems kind of narrow, it's worse than that. It is the most narrow. That's the way truth is, isn't it? Truth has this, this real narrow thing about it. And this is a spiritual truth that God has lovingly informed us of that says, come to Jesus. But you know, after you've drank of the well of the Lord, to use this illustration in a different way, we need to continue to draw from the well. We need to continue to use the resources of the Lord to be prosperous in the work that he's given to him. I mean, again, Isaac digging a well saying, I'm going to live here. And I'm going to take care of the things you've given to me, the things that you've blessed me. I'm not going anywhere. It was a statement of obedience and faith. Abraham had dug these wells, but the enemy had either stolen them or stopped them up with earth. And how true that is today in a spiritual sense, how the resources that God has supplied to us to do the work that he's called us to do as the church are constantly being ripped off and being taken away, out of sight, out of mind, and or we're going to worldly and carnal methods to do the work of the Lord. But remember what the Lord said. Those things which are highly esteemed among men are an abomination in the sight of God. So you want to take the word of God and set it aside and say, hey, don't use the word of God. Let's not talk about the Bible so much. Don't put it in front of people so much because, you know, that might turn them off. Well, you're, you're stopping up a well when you do that, pastor. You're clogging it up. When you say, hey, let's not talk about the Holy Spirit too much because he kind of gets a little out of control every now and does things that we're not so sure about. But if we don't draw from the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit that is intended for us from the Word of God, is taught in the Word of God, then whose power are we doing the work in? Our own? And here's the thing. We can get satisfied with what we can do. We can get clever enough, we can get smart enough, and we can have enough tools in our own little you know, toolbox that we can seem like we're actually doing something. But are we really? Is the world being changed? I don't, I mean, listen, it's wonderful. We started this church 26 years ago. A handful of people had a vision to see this take place. A handful of us moved out here, and we began to do it, and the Lord has blessed it. And I love to see, I mean, what, who doesn't like to see a building fill up? But I, I can honestly tell you that, that I look at that, and I think, okay, that's all right. But what's really happening in our homes, what's happening in our lives, what's happening at our workplaces? Are we sharing the gospel? Are we reaching out around the world? Those are the things that concern me. Because you, you can fill up a building. But just because you fill up a building doesn't mean it's what the Lord is doing. We need to use the tools that he has given to us. And so by God's grace, may we all 
keep digging at the well of the Word of God and not give it up. May we all keep digging at the well of the Holy Spirit saying we need to be filled again. And digging at the well of prayer, asking the Lord to do the work that He would bless our efforts in the land, if you will, and see it be prosperous. That we would use and dig at the well of fellowship. But look at those things I just mentioned. How each and every one of them is under severe attack and has been under severe attack for many years. People challenging the word of God. People looking to methods and programs rather than seeking the face of God and saying, what is it that you would have us to do? Just because the church down the road or across the United States or on the other side of the world did these five things and it turned out great does not mean that we turn that into a program and say, no, this is the way we've got to do it. No, Calvary Chapel Lynchburg needs to seek the face of Jesus Christ and say, what are you doing in our town? What are you doing with us? And we want to seek him and we want to hear from him. We're not just, you know, scrolling through resources on the internet. We're on our knees before the Lord. We have to dig it that well. This is what is so important, that we trust in those resources. And it's, you know, sometimes it comes from within the church that we begin to stop up the wells. And sometimes it comes from outside. We have a foe, don't we? We have an enemy that wants to destroy that fresh flow of water into our spiritual life collectively and individually. One of the wells that we just read of was the name of Sitna. And let me read to you about this, this word Sitna. The word means hatred and comes from the Hebrew root word meaning to lie in wait as an adversary. The name Satan comes from the same root. And there we have it. The ultimate source of all opposition to divine truth, especially the truth that relates to the person and the work of Christ, is Satan himself. He is consumed with a contempt toward the things of God and a bitter envy, hostility, and rage against anything that ministers Christ to the needy heart. John Phillips wrote that. And I, th that is our foe. That is what he wants to do. He wants to make certain that what God is doing in us never gets out and it never touches anybody else's life. You know, some of you are listening online, you're listening on the radio, and you don't feel safe coming back into the congregation. We're glad that you are taking part in fellowship and you are hearing and you are studying. So please understand that comment as I go into the next one. You know, what we've experienced for the next or the last 14 months of how the church has been shut down, and really in the United States, so much better than in most places around the world. So don't think of church as what's happening here only, okay? We must have a broader understanding of the church of Jesus Christ. And what is happening to the church of Jesus Christ around the world is that they're, they're not meeting, and that should trouble each of us and all of us collectively deeply that the church of Jesus Christ is not able to meet. They're, if they do meet, they're afraid they're going to be thrown in jail. And there's been a few examples of things in here, but there's nothing like what's going on in other countries where maybe you could be thrown in jail and be there for some time. And it has become illegal to meet. 
enemy is always trying to clog up the resources of the Lord. And I just got to ask you, how do you view the church? Is this just like the Ruritan Club here? I mean, we're just like, you know, Moose Lodge, Ruritan Club, church, and, you know, uh, no. The church of Jesus Christ was established by Jesus Christ with a very specific purpose. And the, the exhortation is, is that we would not forsake the gathering of believers. And so the enemy, down through the ages, has always tried, sought to try and stop the church gathering and doing her work. Let's not be naive. Uh, are, you, are you saying that, you know, you know governments have uh, created COVID to persecute the church? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we've got an enemy that's an opportunist. And when he sees the opportunity to try and thwart the work of the Lord, he'll adopt anything that's on the table. And if you think that Satan is not trying to stop the work of the church, then you don't know your enemy and you don't understand the significance of the church of Jesus Christ because there's nothing like it. The church is essential. Listen, if the grocery store is essential for your physical body, then the church is essential for your spiritual body. It's not your Savior. I got that. But it's where we come to be fed. It's come, where we come to be equipped. It's Jesus comes to church. He walks in the midst of the lampstand. And for us just to say, oh, well, we won't meet. We're not going to meet. We're, we can't do this. Now, if you're meeting online, praise the Lord you're meeting online. We can't wait for you to come back. But this is something we've got to wise up to. The attack against the Word of God has been going on for so many decades now in, in the, inside the evangelical church. We see the attack against living a life of holiness and saying, hey, these borders and living like this, this, you can't live like this anymore. This was written a long time ago, and these people didn't know what they were talking about. Wait a minute. Who wrote your Bible? It's inspired of God. It's not just a group of people on the backside of some desert that you know, got all hopped up on sugar from eating too many dates and wrote stuff down. I mean, th this is the Lord himself that has communicated his truth to these men, and they recorded it for our learning and our admonition. The attack against the church and to stop up the well of the church of Jesus Christ and the saints of the Lord is real. And we must be on guard. So what do we do? We keep digging. That's what we do. We clear the well out and we keep going. And maybe you look at your life personally like, yeah, this well individually is so clogged up with stuff, it's just forget it. No, it's not forget it. Go dig again. Get into the word. Get on your knees. Pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you. Start walking in holiness. Enjoy the company of the saints and the impact it has upon your life. Dig the well again. The enemy loves to clog it up. Sometimes we're pulling the soil down ourselves, aren't we? And the water we're drinking from is like, this doesn't taste very good. Well, guess what? You try and walk in the world and then try and take a, a deep drink of, of Jesus, it, it's not going to taste good. There's a conflict. There's a battle. There's something that's, that, that's being mixed together, and the Lord's not pleased with that. So we, we have to go and dig afresh Wells of repentance maybe this morning need to be dug. Let's move on. Verses 23 through 25. Isaac is here encouraged to not fear. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. So he's just getting bumped along the countryside here, isn't he? And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear. 
for I am with you. You know, that right at the end of that, that phrase there, in the middle of verse 23, the word for, it's pretty important. Don't be afraid because I'm with you. Does that make a difference to you? To know that God is with you in your challenges and your hardships and the heartbreak that you're going through? I pray that knowing that Jesus is with you today, he said he would never leave you nor forsake you. That doesn't mean there's not going to be famine in the land. But it means you will never be alone. And whatever you're going through, whatever challenges you are, you can stand fast. This is what you say this morning in the face of all your trials. I will dwell in the land. And I will dig and I will drink from the wells of salvation. I'm not going to be moved off. I'm not going to let Abimelech or anybody else run me off from the things that God has given to me. I will dig and dig and dig and dig that I may be received from what the Lord has. Now some of you maybe are in a place where you're like, I have no trials going on, but I don't know how I'll respond when hard times come. Don't say that. Don't say you don't know how. Be a man or a woman of faith that says, I will never be moved by the grace of God no matter what comes to my, into my life. No matter what kind of harm comes to my body, my family, my spouse, what comes to my children, I will be a man or woman of faith because these things are, they happen every day to people of faith. And they break our hearts and they bring us to our knees. It makes it so hard to even look up. But the Lord will sustain you because he's with you. And you can expect that blessing from him. He says, I will bless and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called the name of the Lord, called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. At the very mention that I will bless you, he worshiped. He didn't wait until they found water to worship. He says, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to bless you. And Isaac, well, then it's time to worship. If you're going to to be with me as you were with Abraham and you're going to bless me as you have promised, then it's time for me to start worshiping. He didn't have to see the, the fulfillment to begin to worship. He says, I'm going to worship. And he built an altar. What happened on these altars that Abraham and Isaac and the patriarchs made? In most cases, they were bringing the animals and they were being totally consumed on the altar. So Isaac here is told, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're a child of the Lord and you don't have to be afraid. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, that's the whole point. (laughs) That's the whole point. We don't know what's going to happen, but the Lord has said he's going to be with us. So we ignite our faith and say, I trust. I'm not going to let fear rule my life. You make decisions from fear, you're going to regret it. Make your decisions from faith. If you're about to make a decision because you're full of fear, pause life. Get on your knees and ask the Lord to fill you with faith. It is a gift that he gives. And believe and trust. And now make your decisions with a heart full of faith in the Lord, not in fear. He builds the altar. The animal was placed on the altar, totally consumed. It was a picture of total consecration. Is that your, a picture of your life, Romans 12, 1 and 2? Is that we would be living sacrifices? Everything we have thrown onto the altar of the Lord and say, here I am, Lord, consume me, use me, my mind, my talents, my skills, 
Lord, the good things, the bad things. I am here, use me. Because this is the, what, what is pictured in this altar worship that Isaac is engaged in. Verse 26 down to verse 33. He has peace with the Philistines. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of the army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? So it wasn't just famine. It was also persecution that he was dealing with. Verse 28, But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So he said, Let there now be an oath between us and between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you, since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Is that true? That's not true. They did harm him. They stopped up the wells. They drove him out of the land. And the context is in famine. Those were you know, war-type actions. But he just moves on. The Lord says, dwell in the land and I'll take care of you. And rather than going to war, he trusted the Lord. And the Lord blessed him time and time again. And the enemies of Isaac said, wow, his God is for him. And they wanted there to be peace between them. I think we're taught about this by our Savior, aren't we? That we are to love those who hate us and speak well against those who would spitefully treat us. That we are to love our enemies. I mean, there's part of us in here where it's like, you got that well, and you got the well. It's like, oh, come on, it's time to fight. I mean, let's not let this happen, Isaac. Get a backbone and fight. And I think that's the way he's portrayed as some weak, passive guy. And I, and I can understand that a little bit as we get into some of his latter years. But in this chapter here, I, do we see this as weakness or strength? And belief that God is able to take care of him. God, you said you were going to bless me, and I'm getting run out of town everywhere I go. But I'm going to trust you. And I believe this is a, he's exemplifying faith and trust in the Lord. What happens in verse 30? So he made them a feast and he poisoned it and they all died. No, it doesn't say that. Just make sure you're awake here. He didn't do that. And he doesn't say, what do you mean you didn't do anything wrong? Are you kidding me? Let me rehearse to you everything you did against me. He sees an opportunity for peace. And Isaac chooses to walk in peace. It is, it is commendable. It really is. I know that I would have to be filled with the Holy Spirit at this moment. And I'm assuming God is doing the same for him. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath to one another. And Isaac sent them away. And they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is what? Beersheba, Beersheba, we say to this day. So he is willing to make peace with people that have been stealing his water supply. And he makes the peace. And on that same day, the Lord says, Here's a well for you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall what? Inherit the earth. The world says, if you want it, you got to fight for it, you got to defend it, you got to go take it from them. But the Lord says, happy are those that are meek. 
You're not forceful. You're not ramming things down people's road. I'm going to give it to you. On the very day that he walked in meekness towards these people, the Lord gave him a little bit of earth, a well. And you can trust the Lord to be there working in your life in the same way. What, he was a well digger, that is for sure. He didn't give up. And I think maybe all of us could walk away with this. I know this is what's in my own heart and mind is I need to be digging wells more often. I need a well there and I need a well here. And I need to draw from here and I need to draw from there. And whatever the enemy is doing, it doesn't matter. I need to be drawing from the word of God and prayer and fellowship, instruction in the corporate setting that I might be refreshed. We close there, verses 34 and 35. We see that Esau just continues to be in the flesh. And it says, when Esau was 40 years old, he took wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Basmith, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Pagan women are in the family, and they, we'll read more about it in the coming chapter. So we'll, we'll save it for then. Let's pray. And maybe you just you need your faith filled up. You need to have faith to dwell in the land. Father, thank you that you are faithful to Isaac against all the odds, that even when there's a famine, you gave him a hundredfold. Couldn't have got any better. And Lord, the same is true for us. You have blessing planned for our lives. Help us to be obedient like Isaac and dwell and stay in the place that you have planted us to follow in the borders of your word for our life. 